0: This week we have a super exciting episode. We're chatting with Cortland Allen, the founder of Indie Hackers. We're gonna talk about what indie hacking is, how to get started with it, and his advice for getting traction with indie products. Let's get started.
1: Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma, and we're debugging the tech industry. Hey, Kelly, have you heard about this cool tool called AWS Amplify? Tell me about it. It's a suite of tools and services that enables developers to build full-stack serverless and cloud-based web and mobile apps. You get to use whichever framework or technology you want on the front end. That sounds cool. Will it help me get up and running with things like hosting? Yeah. Authentication? You betcha. Manage GraphQL? Totally. How about serverless functions, APIs, machine learning, chatbots, file storage? Yes to everything! Amplify is built especially in a way to enable traditionally front-end developers like yourself, Kelly, to be successful because you can use your existing skill set to build real-world, full-stack apps that in the past would require deep knowledge around backend, DevOps, and scalable infrastructure. The Amplify console also allows you to use a GitHub repository to deploy to a globally available CDN with CI and CD built-in. Super cool. Where can I learn more? If you want to learn more about AWS Amplify, visit aws-amplify.github.io.
0: Okay, Cortland, introduce yourself. Can you give us a quick overview of your career trajectory up to this point?
2: Hi, Allie. Hi, Kelly. So I am Cortland Allen. My career trajectory. I don't know if you could call it a a career. I think it was mostly based on um, my absolute refusal to try to work for anybody else for as long as I possibly could. I feel um, that. But I'm a software engineer, I got a degree in computer science from MIT in 2009, and ever since I was a kid I always wanted to code, I always wanted to make websites, and sort of work for myself and make a living that way, just because I think the ability to create stuff, basically for free without any overhead, without really needing to rely on anybody else, is just super fun. And so I've always loved tinkering, out, tinkering around online and building things, and uh, I've always liked having the creative freedom to, to build whatever I want without... You know, necessarily having someone else tell me what to build. Um, Of course, that's hard to do because you need to get paid. And so the only path for me coming out of college was basically to start my own companies. And so since 2009 when I graduated, I started about five different companies, most of which uh, no one's ever heard of, did not do well, (laughs) (laughs) don't exist anymore. But all of which are able to support me for at least a little bit. And then in 2016, I started... um, a website called Indie Hackers, which is a community of people basically like me, people who wanted to be independent, people who were hackers or developers who wanted to basically use their coding skills to create things. Um, and I was just interviewing people and asking them, you know, hey, you've done this. How did you do it? How much money are you making? How did you come up with your idea? How did you get to where you are today? And I would publish these interviews, and other people like me who had the same goals would flock to the site and read these interviews and ask each other questions. And so, since then, since then, it's kind of blossomed into a very large community of startup founders and ND developers who are trying to make a living for themselves. And luckily, I was able to myself make a living from the site, get to the point where I could pay my rent and all my bills and, and not have to get a job. And then, best literally feeling. a month. Yeah, the best feeling. It was so great to actually hit that point because <laughs> money in my bank account was um, rapidly declining. Uh, <laughs> but after I got to the point of stability where I was able to take care of myself, indie Hackers was acquired by Stripe. So Stripe uh, is an online payments company. It's beloved by many developers, including myself. So if you want to accept customers' credit cards online for something that you're building, you're probably going to end up using Stripe. And they were kind of a natural fit for indie hackers. So I've been at Stripe for the last two and a half years. That is the first full-time job that I've ever had. I'm now 32. (laughs) Um, And ironically, it was sort of born out of my desire not to have a job. But that's, I think, the best description I can give of my career trajectory up to this point.
1: That's amazing. So I'm going to touch on your your past failures, because I think that's a really important conversation for us to have. And also just the acquisition experience. I'm definitely interested in learning more about that. But before we get into that, can you define what indie hacking is?
2: Yeah. So to be an indie hacker is basically to be somebody who wants to be independent and make a living online through your own basic creative faculty. So uh, it's hard to like pen down exactly you know who's an indie hacker and who's not and draw a line in the sand, but like the vast majority of indie hackers are doing this because they want some sort of freedom. They want the freedom to spend their time however they want, the creative freedom to work on whatever they want, the freedom to work from whatever location they want, the financial freedom to be their own boss and make their own rules. Uh, the vast majority of indie hackers are developers, but there are many people who don't code as well and have learned to to sell things online and make things. Um, and pretty much everybody who's an indie hacker runs some sort of business. It doesn't really matter what size it is. Some of them are huge. I've talked to people who've made millions of dollars in their projects. Some of them are tiny. A lot of indie hackers are just making a few hundred dollars a month to sort of supplement their income. So I think that's the the best description I can give of an indie hacker.
0: That's awesome. It's really cool to be on the air with two different entrepreneurs in kind of very different areas right now. Um, so I. Work for a company, so I have a very different career trajectory than either of you. But I think someday the idea of being an entrepreneur is really interesting. The idea of indie hacking is especially interesting because of the independence and the um, self-sustaining kind of nature of it. Um, if somebody is interested in becoming an indie hacker, what skills would you advise developing in order to to get on that
2: path? I think the first—I don't know if you could call it a skill, but it's I think a mindset. I think um, in society at large, we sort of look at being a founder and running your own business as a completely different thing than working for somebody else or being an employee. But the way I see it is that they're very similar things. So, Ali, you say you're an employee, you have a boss, you have a paycheck, um, but at the same, you know, at the same time, like you're kind of an entrepreneur. You're doing a lot of the same things that an entrepreneur does. So, an entrepreneur would say that you know we do a lot of marketing. We need to tell people about our skills. But as um, an employee, like you had that phase two where you had to go through basically a job application process and you create a resume that advertise your skills and send it to people and tell them you know who you are and why they should hire you it 's not really any different than what a founder does, and founders do a lot of sales, but you know as an employee, you do a lot of interviews you talk to people and you have to convince them why they should hire you. Um, you get paid a salary as a founder you get paid revenue by your employees or by your customers um, you spend your time working, you know, creating a product of value. Like founders, see the same thing. So I think the most important thing is to realize that no matter where you are, you pretty much are already using all the skills that you need to be a founder, um, and you're like already halfway there. Beyond that, I think it really helps to have some ability to make things. This is why I think being an indie hacker is especially good for software engineers because you can sit down at your computer and from scratch create something of value, and it doesn't have to be that complex. It doesn't have to be. Something you spent a year working on. It can be just a single one page website. It can be, I've seen people get started just by creating spreadsheets. Indie Hackers at the beginning was literally just a blog. Like it doesn't have to be that complex. But you need to be able to bring something to life that can essentially help other people in the world and convince them that, like, hey, you know, this is worth um, paying some money for.
1: Awesome. And you know, you were talking about. It could kind of present itself in very many different ways, but have you come across any like specific technologies you've found that have been really beneficial for indie hacking?
2: You know, there are I think some playbooks I've seen people use and that I myself have used that are maybe it's better to describe them as like patterns that have been super useful. So, for example, let's say you wanted to start a business, but you're not sure what you want to do, but you have a few passions. a great example would be Peter Peter Levels, the founder of a company called Nomadlist. So his passion was traveling. And what he wanted to do was basically travel the world to different countries and just work remotely. And it turned out that when he was doing this a few years ago, there just weren't that many resources online for what country should you go to. Where is the internet speed the fastest? Where is the safest? Where can you talk to other nomads who are doing the same thing, et etc. Uh, and so we just tweeted, like, hey, I'm making a list and a spreadsheet. If you're interested in doing the same thing, just contribute to the spreadsheet. And this tweet didn't really do all that well, but the spreadsheet itself was on fire because everybody was sharing the spreadsheet to other people, and there are hundreds of people contributing, and he could tell uh, from the get-go like this was something really special. And so he didn't really need to code at all, he didn't really need to use any particular tools except for Google Spreadsheets to get this ball rolling. But then he took baby step after baby step to get it to the next level. So he took all the data from the spreadsheet and he made a single-page website that was beautiful and useful and had all sorts of filters to make it a little bit less intimidating to consume that information and easier for people to find. And then he created a community. So he uh, added a forum where all these different digital nomads who are looking for this information could basically come and help each other. And so the kind of pattern that I've seen a lot of people do is take something that they're passionate about, create a shared resource where other people who are passionate about it can go to learn about it all in one place and make it very easy for them. And then add a community or sponsorships on top of that to basically you know, provide something of value and also you know, be able to pay yourself um, for all the people who are coming to visit your thing. And I have countless examples. Indie hackers, arguably, is the same thing. A lot of people were like me. They wanted to find out how they could be an indie hacker, but there wasn't a great resource online for doing that. And so by collecting a lot of high-quality interviews in one place... I was able to basically create that resource for people that they found valuable and then add a community on top of it and engage sponsors who basically wanted to reach this audience and sell whatever they were selling. And that's how I supported myself for quite a while. Um, I was just in South Africa talking to Alexandria Proctor who started a company called Digs Connect, And she helps students find housing in South Africa. And she started the exact same way. She had a spreadsheet, she was like, hey, if you're a student, come here to find housing. Hey, if you have you know an apartment for rent, Put it in here, and she started with a spreadsheet. Then she turned it into a website, um, and so it's kind of the same playbook I've seen for many, many people. But uh, even though that's particularly common, there's a thousand other ways to start to start your company or start your profitable project.
1: I think that's a you made a really good point as, as far as something you're you're passionate about. I think a lot of these things you become passionate about generally come from some source of like a gap in knowledge or a gap in a service or user or like a experience, like. You couldn't find like the resources for for, uh, indie hackers or finding student housing or just housing in general. I mean, all of these things, I recently came across a project uh, that somebody tweeted, I think yesterday, where they built a service to let people post when they have like a loved one who's missing. It's just these, all these things come from like a, some kind of idea you have because you realize there's a gap in a service. And I think that's a really good way to find, find like that topic you want to talk about really.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, if you think about the way we go through our lives, we're constantly uh, trying to fill these gaps, as you mentioned. We're constantly trying to solve problems. Like I just ran to a meeting earlier today and I was a little bit late and I was at a Starbucks. And then in San Francisco we have these lime scooters all over the place. And I was like, Oh, thank God for the scooter, I can it's like a power up. It's like I'm playing like a video game and I could just suddenly go faster. And like that solved a problem. Now I'm like, you know, not gonna be late to this meeting um but somebody had to think about that someone had to think you know it's annoying to get around on foot here and it's a little bit slow to call an uber or buy a car or something uh and the world is just full of all these little problems all these things that either don't have a good solution or they have a solution but it's not it's not the preferred way that we would like to do things and so we'd invent our own way and there's enough people on earth that if you want something it's probably uh the case that a lot of other people want it the way that you do too for
0: sure i love that I love that it's such a perfect way to build something is build something for yourself first because you know that you are the target audience and that there is an audience for it. So I think that that's awesome advice. You've brought up some examples of indie hacker projects that you really like and have seen scale. Um, I'm on your site as well, on a community member, and noticed so many incredible projects on there. Do you have any other examples of indie hacker projects that are some of your favorites?
2: My recent favorite is an app called One Second Every Day. Uh, from Caesar Kuriyama, lives in Brooklyn. I just had him on the podcast, but sort of in preparation for interviewing him, I started using his app. And the whole idea behind the app is you record one second of video every single day, and then at the end of the year, you've got like a six minute video of your life. And one second doesn't sound like a lot, but it actually is enough to capture a good moment and sort of allow you to like re-experience what you're up to that day. And so I started using this in December, which is right before I went on this huge trip to Cape Town and to New York. And so the first month of like my one second everyday video is super eventful. It's gonna be a little bit more boring uh, now that I'm back at home. But the cool thing about it is I think it it sort of inspires and motivates you to live a more interesting life because you realize that if you're just sitting at your computer all day or going through the same routine, that you're not gonna have a good, you know, one-second video for that day. And so it literally changes the way that you live. And Caesar's story himself is super inspiring because. He was sort of stuck in a job that wasn't that fulfilling. He was working 100-hour work weeks, and he really wanted um, the kind of freedom that most indie hackers crave. He wanted to figure out a way out of the system, a way to be his own boss and work on the things that he liked. And he just sort of stumbled upon this idea. Like He went on a vacation and basically was doing this one-second everyday video for himself, and he realized that it just resonated with lots of people. Other people really wanted it. And so he ended up basically posting his video on YouTube, Auditioning to give a TED talk, he won that audition. Gave an actual TED talk on the TED main stage that has millions of views. Wow. Uh, he ended up finding some software engineers who were like, "Look, man, I know you don't have any money, but like, we would love to help you build an app for this." And just working on it, launching a super successful Kickstarter for it, and just having a really wild ride where he's eventually been able to build his own company and work for himself on this app that he loves, and build a team of, of thirty people, I believe, who are also working on it. And they are almost always like number one or number two in the App Store around New Year. So he's been having a pretty uh, crazy couple of weeks. That's um, incredible. He's one of many. It's hard to choose a favorite. I'm like a proud mom. Like, I don't know. which. <laughs>
1: okay, speaking of proud moms, though, One Second Every Day, super popular with moms. Here's my kid's second <laughs> year of life. One second every day. I see it all the time on Facebook.
2: Yeah, So. For me, um, I don't I don't video myself. <laughs> I also don't have kids, so you're not going to see like how I transform. But I think uh, it's a crazy, crazy cool app, and it's it's just cool to me that he was able to build something that's so fun and impactful to himself and make a living off of it.
0: Yeah, that's so different. Very cool.
1: So let's let's get into some of the the difficult parts of being an indie hacker, and and this is the time that I also want to talk about your previous businesses because part of the difficulties is experiencing failure so both your experience and then also just some additional difficult parts that are worth mentioning
2: one of the reasons that i created indie hackers and one of the reasons that i think it resonates with so many people is that it's difficult to go out on your own and try to start something um one of the more comforting parts of getting a job and having sort of a more normal career path is that you've got other people doing the same thing you've got coworkers you come down and sit down at work and you've got people you can talk to you've got colleagues uh, as an indie hacker, you're pretty much alone. You're starting your own company, it's your own thing. There usually isn't a super well-defined playbook for exactly how it's going to go, and so there's a little bit of anxiety that comes from, like, is this going to work? You know, is this, Am I going to be wasting my time? Um, it's financially difficult. And I think when you're in a situation like that, it really helps to have people around you who can talk to you, who understand the things that you're going through, because they're going through the same things. And so the reason why... I didn't just leave Indie Hackers as, you know, an interview site, but also added a community where people could talk to each other and even meet each other in real life is because I think people need that connection. And people spend way too much time just sort of locked in their basement by themselves, trying to build something, freaking out when it's not working, uh, and not having that support network. And in fact, that's kind of what I went through for years building my own projects before I built Indie Hackers. I worked on, I think I mentioned like five different things. Mm-hmm. I worked on an app to help you sort of filter your email better, an app to Help you convert your emails into tasks, uh, an app to help businesses sort of communicate among their employees and assign responsibilities, like lots of different stuff. And being sort of a full stack developer, I would just do all of it. I would do the design, I would do the back end coding, I would do the front end coding. Which, on one hand, was an advantage because it's like I don't have to raise money and try to hire someone to fill in these gaps. But on the other hand, it was a really good excuse not to talk to anybody, (laughs) a really good excuse to not really um, be social and share the hard times and share sort of the failures, which I think are really important. So, um, you know, my my advice to a lot of indie hackers out there is if you're doing this by yourself, find a friend, find a support group, go on indiehackers.com and just start literally just start a meetup. Just say, hey, I'm in, you know, uh, whatever particular town I'm going to be working from this coffee shop, come join me. And I guarantee you a few people will show up and say, let's work together. Uh, and I think just having people to bounce your ideas off of and having people to tell you, hey, it's totally normal to feel um, anxious about this thing or scared about this thing can really boost your confidence and convince you to keep going rather than giving up early.
0: Love that, that's awesome advice. I think even just as a remote worker, it's something that I notice a lot, that it's harder to to work independently and have that same Friendships that you have normally with your coworkers. I think that that's awesome advice. Flipping it on its tail, what are some of the best parts of being an
2: indie hacker? I mean, just the freedom. Like, it's so great to be able to determine pretty much everything about your life. And I think, you know, one thing people really underestimate is the power business can have to basically allow you to do things that you never would be able to do otherwise. Like, the way I look at a business is it's basically any sort of project that's capable of sustaining itself. And that's it. Those are the only two requirements. (laughs) It's a project and it generates enough revenue to keep it going. But pretty much anything you want in life, I think you can build a business to help you get that thing. So um, for example, let's say you're a huge fan of just celebrities in general or musicians uh, and you want to talk to more celebrities and musicians. You just think that would be a cool lifestyle to live. You can start a company to help you do that. There actually is a company called Cameo, which you may have heard of, and the founders who started this company are able to live a life where they get to talk to all these interesting, famous people because those are their customers. They decided those would be their customers, now they have an excuse to spend their entire day talking to these people and onboarding them and hanging out with them. Uh, they didn't need to like get famous, they didn't need to become amazing singers or something else, they just started a business and that gave them the ability to do that. Or right, with Indie Hackers, and even with you, like having an interview-based podcast gives you the ability to meet all sorts of interesting people and talk to them and be friends after the show ends. And just like build up a network of people that you actually look up, like, you know, are inspired by and look up to. Like, I feel super privileged to be able to come on this podcast and talk to you. And hopefully, we'll be friends after this. But like, that's a direct result of starting a business. You know, it would be much harder if I hadn't started a business that enabled me to do this. Um, There's all sorts of zany examples, too. There's a guy named Bemu who's got a huge, like, sort of obsession with Japanese candy, and he just wants to share his love for Japanese candy with the world. It uh, doesn't sound like a thing you could really do as a business, but it is. In fact, he just buys up Japanese candy, puts in little boxes and ships it all around the world. And like that's how he makes his living, doing the thing that he loves and getting to watch other people experience this thing that he loves. Peter Levels, who I mentioned earlier, he can literally travel the world and wherever he goes, he has people who know him, are friends, are fans in a different city. And so he's never going to be alone. He can travel anywhere and he never has to sort of figure out who am I going to talk to here, et cetera. And so I think people really underestimate the degree to which, if you want something in your life, you can start a business to basically enable that. And I think that's a decision you should really make in the very beginning. I think before you try to come up with an idea, before you sit down to figure out anything, you should just make a list of questions for yourself and ask, like, what do I want out of my life? What would my ideal life look like? What kinds of things have I done in the past that made me feel really good? What kinds of things have people said about me that made me feel great, et cetera? And just get a really firm understanding of like what would make you happy and fulfilled as a person, and then start thinking about business ideas that can sort of align with that and give you the life that you want to live.
1: I think that's a really good point because a lot of people will try to start businesses with the intention of making money. And if you're not passionate about what it is that you're basing your life around at that point, especially when you go all in, you're less you're you're going to, you know, you're gonna burn out or, you know, if things don't go well, all you were aiming for was to make money and it's just the passion is not totally. there. And I, I see it a lot from the, the e-commerce side of things and it breaks my heart.
2: <laughs> you need the passion because ultimately, it's pretty easy for people to copy your business. If you're just building something that like, you don't care that much about and then someone else sees it and they're like, wow, this is my passion, I want to do the same thing, like, they're going to beat the pants off of you because <laughs> they care about
1: exactly. it. exactly, And
2: you're not going to even be happy. You know, I think a huge reason to start a business is to make your own life better. To basically allow you to live the life you want to live. I mean that's a totally fine reason to start a business. And if you're the person in control of it, you control what you work on, what you're selling, who you're selling to, who you spend your time around all day. Why would you start a business that you don't even like? Exactly. And I think a lot of it comes down to like kind of having a scarcity mindset. It's it's intimidating, I think, at first to to try to come up with an idea when you've never done it before. I just actually tweeted a poll yesterday. You know, if you haven't started a company yet, but you want to, what's stopping you? And the number one answer was I just don't have an idea. It's really hard sometimes for people to come up with an idea. People come up with ideas but they don't think they're good enough. And you get into the scarcity mindset where if you, you know, finally land on an idea that you think can actually turn into a business, you think, oh, I've got to do this. And I might not be passionate about it and it might not be my thing, but it seems like it'll work financially and I haven't had any other ideas. So I just have to do it. And I would encourage people to be a little bit more patient and to instead of thinking about, okay, what can make money and then, you know, hopefully I'll grow to like it, think about what do I actually like. And then think about the intersection of the things that you like with the things that people are sort of accustomed to paying for, and then you know make sure you start a business that's that's actually enjoyable for you to run.
1: Exactly, especially since running a business is not easy. So you're going to have you know you're going to have your high points when you you know get your first sale or get your first subscriber, whatever it might be. You're going to have your really low points when it's dry, you're you're just not really into it, and you, you need to have that passion to push through.
2: Exactly. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. And if you're, wish you're doing something you don't like, yeah, I wish, I wish it was too. But if you're, I think your point is spot on. If you're doing something that you don't like, it's going to be much harder to get through those, those low points. But if you're doing something that you love, you know, if you're literally just selling Japanese candy and you have a low <laughs> month of sales, like at least you've got your candy.
0: What is the
1: name of that company?
2: Um, it's called Candy Japan. Very straightforward name. That's
1: great. A very identifiable name and also probably yeah. pretty good for SEO too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not so good for your, uh, your health.
1: That, yes. But I guess if you're passionate about it, then, you know, other people also... Actually, one of my best friends is super into everything in Japan, so she would probably love it.
2: Get her on the boxes. (laughs) Candy boxes.
1: I'm a really big fan of everything subscription-based because I do a lot of subscription-based models through my own company. So I always get excited when I see another one on the market. So let's talk about scaling. So Indie Hackers was acquired by Stripe. But let's back up. Can indie hacking scale in your experience? I mean, you talk to a lot of other entrepreneurs and a lot of people starting these companies. So what does it look like when, when somebody decides to scale their business?
2: Totally. I think most businesses can scale. Not infinitely. Not every business can be the next Google. But every business can get like to a sizable point. And I think you know something that's lost on a lot of people is that um, your business looks different depending on the scale that it's at. And So one of the things that I tell a lot of brand new founders is, don't spend too much time looking at all of these huge companies and copying what they're doing because the way they look today is nothing like the way they looked when they first got started. When you're first getting started, you're doing a lot of scrappy stuff, a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense in the long run, but that just helps you get off the ground. And so, maybe a good illustrative example would be my own story with Indie Hackers. When I started Indie Hackers, as I mentioned, it was just a blog. I mean, I was interviewing people over email, they would send me their answers, I would post them on my website. And that was it. You could come read the blog and sign up for for my mailing list, and that was it. And I knew in the beginning that I wanted it to be a thriving community, that I wanted it to be something a little bit bigger and more impactful, where people could connect to each other. But I didn't start there because, quite frankly, it's very hard to just start with a community. If you try to create a community from day one, nobody's going to be there, which means nobody's going to join, so it's sort of pointless. And so I had sort of like a four-step plan, a little bit of which I outlined earlier, where it's like, okay, well, let me interview people. And generate excitement and see if this is something that people weren't even excited to do. Like, are people excited to be indie hackers in the way that I am? Uh, And in the beginning, that just looked like me sending hundreds of emails to people who were doing this and saying, hey, will you come on my website and let me interview you and also share your revenue numbers? And most people said no, but a few people said yes. A few early adopters who were really passionate about it. I think that's a sort of a common theme early on in business you've kind of got to do things that don't scale. It was never my plan to send hundreds of emails a week forever, but I knew that I needed to do something kind of crazy like that just to get the ball rolling at first. Um, and I think it's kind of, uh, although to some people it's kind of a turnoff, that sounds like a lot of work, sounds really boring. It's actually good news as a founder that you can do these things that don't scale, that just require effort, because they don't require you to be super clever or super experienced upfront. If you're a huge company, you're trying to go from like a million users to 10 million users, like you've got to be super smart, super knowledgeable. You've got to find some tricks that others haven't found. But if you're just like a fledgling founder, you're an indie hacker you're just getting started, you're trying to go from zero customers to like one customer, you don't need to be super clever at all. You just need to like talk to 10 people. That's pretty much it. And the same exactly. thing for like your first hundred customers, or your first thousand customers, like you can just brute force it and just talk to people, send emails, to like go to coffee shops. Um so I think a lot of companies look like that in their early days. It looks like one person just being scrappy and talking to lots of people. Beyond that, I think it's important to try to figure out a way to get to the next level. So for me, with Indie Hackers, I knew that people would come read these interviews, but then when you read things online, you know it's kind of one and done. You read it, you maybe share it, you say that was great, and then you don't necessarily bookmark that website and come back. And so I was collecting people's email addresses and saying, "Hey, I'm going to publish interviews like this every week, and if you want to get notified, sign up for my mailing list." And I'll basically send you the next interview when it comes out next week. And so, in just a a few weeks, I had thousands of people who were subscribed. And that gave Mm -hmm. me the opportunity to basically reach out to these people whenever I wanted. And then I said, okay, well, now I've got like an actual growing pool of people. Now I could basically create a community. So I coded some like an online forum from scratch and about a week and a half, just a very bare bones form that allows you to make posts. And I would start these discussions on the forum and then email them out alongside the interviews. To my mailing list. And at first it was like very few people would participate. It was actually just me with like some fake accounts talking to myself. <laughs> and <laughs> I, would, I would send these conversations to the email list and say, hey, look at this cool discussion that's I going on. Does anyone honesty? want to join? Yeah, it's true. I mean, it was a little, it was a little uh lonely there for a minute. But um, you know, I'll never forget the first time that someone was talking to one of the fake me's, and then another person joined, and those two people talk to each other. And I'm like, oh, it's a real <laughs> conversation. <I didn't>. Uh <laughs> and I think, you know. Bootstrapping it off the back of the mailing list, being able to send out these conversations to the mailing list week after week for months, really was what enabled the community to sort of grow and take on a life of its own. To the point where it doesn't need me. You know, I could not make a post on the forum for months, and it doesn't matter because there's tens of thousands of other people who are talking to each other and helping each other out, and I don't have to do anything. And so, you know, to, this has been sort of a long-winded answer to your question. But like, can any hacking scale? Of course. Lots of people make companies that end up growing really big, and it's really fun, in my opinion, to watch how people's Ambitions and goals and activities change. A lot of times people start off by saying, you know, I want to make something that will pay my rent. And then once they get there, they're like, oh, you know what? Like, I want to make something that will be able to, you know, to allow me to hire a bunch of a team and build like a really cool team. And then they have a team like, you know what? I want to make something that's going to like help this part of the world or change how these people do this thing or make this, you know, make this thing better. And uh, I think it's just a constant evolution. Companies evolve just like people grow and change over time. And uh, it's kind of up to you as a founder to decide how big you want your company to be and how much you want it to scale.
1: I completely agree, and I think it's it's definitely important to note that it will it will change over time. You're you know, as especially when you're doing something where you're building a community, as soon as the people start showing up, they define what your community is. You don't really exactly. get that that opportunity to do that definition. So it's definitely important to you know, when you're a smaller company at that point as well, you're a lot more flexible. Like you can choose to pivot the next day. And that's totally fine. As opposed to Google, if Google decided to, you know, start selling meals online or whatever, it's a totally different concept. It's a huge change for their company. So, you know, take take advantage of that time when you're small and you get to enjoy every single facet of your business.
2: Exactly. And this also goes back to, to what I was saying earlier that like you should start by making a list of like who you are as a person and what you want because you don't have to scale your business. I've met a lot of indie hackers who are like, "You know what? I never want to hire anybody. I never yeah. want to have a team. And I would get bored by working on one project all the time. So there's this guy I've interviewed Moshar Iqbal. He's like the most prolific maker I've ever seen. He's a software engineer. He releases like three or four side projects a month. Some of them make money. Some of them don't. He uh, puts it out into the world and he moves on to the next thing. And like that's what he does. I also that's interviewed. Awesome. Danielle Baskin, she started like 23 different companies. She's never shut any of them down. And they're all just like weird zany things. So she made an app called You Need a Boss, where you can basically call in and it calls a random person and that person just pretends to be your boss and tells you to get to work.
1: That's hilarious. Uh,
2: <laughs> you know, so she's got funny. like a sort of tricycle pop-up thing where she like built this tricycle that can turn into like a sort of a pop-up shop. You can drive around the city and like sell goods from anywhere. She's got another company where it's called Branded Fruit, where if you have a conference or something, uh, she will order like a thousand avocados for your conference and like have a team one. of people yeah, put your logo on the on the thing. So it's more of like a sustainable conference swag thing where people actually eat your logo off of all sorts of fruit. <laughs> She's got 23 it. of these things and she loves doing it and she never really wants to scale one up to be some massive thing. So uh, the options are pretty much limitless. And I think again, like you should try to figure out what it is that resonates with you and what kind of life you want to live rather than locking yourself into Having to start some type of business because you think every business is the same. Every business is different. And I think it should be a reflection of the founder's personality.
1: For sure. I need to plug a book real fast because we're talking about not having to scale your team. Company of One by Paul Jarvis. Right. Really, really good book. And it really opens your eyes to the fact that, oh, you know, you might get team envy seeing your, like, I get team envy from other people in the office. They're like, oh, I have a team of 10. I'm like, well, I have two employees and I'm pretty proud of that. I don't need like anything huge, you yeah. know? And company of yeah. one really opened my eyes to that.
2: I know a lot of people with really big teams of people who are also miserable. So <laughs> it's definitely not <laughs> about just like counting your team size. That's not. That's not what it's about.
0: Giving a little bit, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to become an indie hacker?
2: Uh, I would say, like, uh, first of all, be careful taking advice from strangers like me on the internet, um, <laughs> because you're your own person. You don't necessarily fit into a bucket, and most advice is not one size fits all. So a lot of times, I tell, I give people advice for like. Books they should read or things they should do, but the person I'm talking to actually it turns out that they've read a ton of stuff and their biggest issues is they, they just like can't pull the trigger, they just can't get started. And I'm just like basically giving them giving them advice that you know is allowing them to procrastinate. So I think first of all you need to sit down and ask you know what do you want, what are your problems, what are you stuck with, what are you inspired by, and really take that into account before you listen to someone's advice. And also if you're asking for advice for someone like tell them what you want, tell them what your goals are, and make sure they can tailor their advice to you because. There's so much out there. There's so many books written and blog posts written about how to start a company or how to start a side project or how to become a developer. And you really need to consume the information that's targeted at people like you rather than at people who are doing other things. So that's my first bit of advice. Take advice with a grain of salt. Second, I think, don't be afraid to start small. It can be very daunting to have like, these grand ambitions and these grand goals and thinking, you know, I've got to build this amazing thing and tell all your friends and family you're going to do this amazing thing. And then it's really hard to start. And it's really easy to feel like a failure. I think what you should do instead is is basically just create like these little toy projects, create a spreadsheet for people to share things. like Do something that you think is fun, that's super easy, that only takes you a few days or a few hours to get off the ground, and then just iterate on it. And don't need to have grand ambitions, just allow yourself to sort of Follow a sort of winding path that feels good in the beginning. And then it's much easier to start. It's much easier to feel good about what you've done. And I think, honestly, in the end, most things that are successful start that way anyway, rather than trying to be super ambitious from the start. So don't be afraid to start small.
1: I have one additional uh, point of advice that I'd love to you know get your take on. It's a big step to leave your day job and go full-time in indie hacking. Do you have any advice around that?
2: This is another thing that's like totally personal. So (laughs) There was a time where I uh, had basically gotten burned out on starting different companies and not really having them succeed. And I was just doing sort of contract work over the internet where I'd work from home and then tinker on my side projects on the side. And when I was in that state, it was just very comfortable for me. It was very hard for me to take my side projects seriously and work on them to the level where I could actually turn them into something uh, standalone and go full-time on them. And then at some point, my contracts ended, and I decided, you know, I can live off my savings for probably a year. Let me go full time on my side projects and try to turn them into something great. And like that was the only time I got really serious. And so for me, I kind of needed that external pressure, that motivation of watching my savings decline month after month, paying rent in expensive San Francisco, for me to really get serious and and to do something. And I know that I could have just sort of wallowed in procrastination and lack of motivation forever if I hadn't quit my job. For others, it's the exact opposite, um, and it depends on your circumstances. If you've got a family at home, if you've got kids, if you've got a mortgage, maybe it's a little risky to just up and quit your job based on a dream. And in that situation, I think um, your main challenge is going to be that you've got your time and your attention really divided. You've got a job that takes up a lot of your time, you've got your relationships with your family that also take up a lot of your time, and you've got you know probably not that much free time to start a company. And a lot of people find it hard to start there, but my advice for you is, once again, like shrink the scope of what you're working on. Almost regardless of how much free time you have there's something you can do that's useful that can fit into that time and what i see a lot of people doing is saying like oh it takes like you know 3 to 6 months to build a fully featured application that's going to be useful and i only have a few hours a week so it's going to take me like 2 years to do this and i think well you know you don't need to build a fully featured you know web application you could build something really simple in just a few hours it's not only about making more time in your day but it's also i think Changing the scope of what your ambition is and what your idea is to fit into a smaller time window that you can actually do in the time you have allotted. And so, I've met a lot of people who've had full-time jobs who released apps and projects and and companies that literally only took them like a few hours to get off the ground. You know, they're like, I'm going to start an Instagram account where I take photos of this thing and then build a community around it using Discourse, and that takes them like an hour to get set up. And yeah, it's not their ultimate vision for what they ultimately want to do five years down the road, but it's a good way for them to get started and hopefully go from there. So. I would encourage people to be a little bit more creative, a little bit more willing to to work on very small, um, unambitious, not time-consuming things when your time is limited and you've got a full-time job that you don't want to quit.
0: Love that. Another place that I've gotten advice in the past is the Indie Hacker platform. We asked for advice on Ladybug when we started and got some great stuff on there. So what advice and how could somebody... Also, go ahead and get started on the Indie Hacker uh, community.
2: So, yeah, Indie Hackers, the online community is basically a forum full of people um, who are starting things, who want to get advice from each other, who want to share each other's stories. Uh, I think it's really fascinating because one of the things you have to do as a founder is usually communicate with your customers and tell them, you know, here's what we're offering or get them interested and then learning how to communicate with people. And it's no different from being on an online forum. And so, if you come on Indie Hackers or you want to help with something or you want to um, share a story, I would say put a little bit of thought into what would make that story resonate with other people. For example, if you need help with something instead of just saying, you know, how do I do this thing? Ask yourself, well, do other people need help with this too? How can I phrase my question in a way where people see it and they say, Oh, you know, I need help with this too. Let me click in and read it. And so I wouldn't say, like, you know, you know, how can I make the colors better on my website, ndhackers.com. I might make a post that says, you know, what are the best color schemes for a website? And then lots of people will say, Oh, yeah, I've got that problem or I'm interested in the answer and comment and chime in and contribute. So I would say put a little bit of thought into the, the post that you create on indie Hackers. Um, don't be afraid to post. A lot of people have posting anxiety, but I promise no one's going to bite. It's a community full of uh, very empathetic people who've been through uh, the whole gamut of emotions and trials and tribulations trying to start their companies. And so whatever you do, people have been there and they, they know what it's like. Uh, so you don't have to be embarrassed about posting. You don't have to be worried that people are going to trash your idea or get mad at you. Uh, just take the plunge and, and make a post and see what people say. And also, finally, don't be afraid to, to help out other people. Generally speaking, if you browse the forum for a little bit, you're going to find someone who has an issue or problem or who just wants to share a story that like you can provide some feedback for. And it's it just feels great. To be able to help someone else out there who's trying to accomplish their dream and know that just by typing a few sentences uh, and clicking submit that like you helped someone and, and made their day. So feel free to contribute as well.
1: I love that. And especially on that last point, it's really important to note that you don't have to be an expert to be able to give advice.
2: You know, One of the, the big things that people do to start businesses that work, uh, one of the best things you can do, I think, is teach. Um, because generally speaking, people love to learn things. Like people learn, love to learn how to become a developer, or how to become an indie hacker, or how to learn how to knit, or do anything. And a lot of people have anxiety around teaching and helping because they think, "Well, I'm not a world class expert, and there's so many people who are way better than me. Like, how can I afford to teach?" And at the end of the day, like people don't necessarily want to learn from world class experts. They want to learn from somebody who's just a little bit better than them. So if you're a beginner, you can teach people who haven't yet become beginners. You are just getting started. Or if you're an intermediate at something, you can teach people who are beginners. And so. I, I love your, your point there that essentially you don't have to be you know, super knowledgeable in order, to help, in order to help somebody. You can generally help lots of people with whatever level of knowledge you have right now.
0: I bet Allie has all kinds of thoughts on that one. <laughs> definitely, definitely. That's so true. And I was so nervous when I started teaching full-time that my students were going to be better coders than me or whatever. <laughs> but uh, definitely a lot to gain from everybody no matter what level they're at.
2: Very true. And sometimes like just sharing your story, like people will come on Indie Hackers, the same way you're interviewing me, I'll just interview them. I'll say, "Hey, what did you do? You know, how did you get to where you are?" and they'll just literally talk about what they did, and that's super educational to thousands of people even though they're not trying to be teachers. So, uh, I can't emphasize enough like how much all of us have the potential to be teachers and how valuable it is for other people to be taught something that that's inspiring for them.
1: For sure. I've one final question for you. The, probably the easiest one. Where can we find you on the internet? Your Twitter, websites, whatever.
2: So first of all, IndieHackers.com. Uh, it's the community we've been talking about. I'm CS Allen on there. So if you make a post, feel free to tag me at C-S-A-L-L-E-N. And I'm also CS Allen on Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, I'll generally tweet out you know random advice that I have or thoughts that occur or new podcast episodes that get released and polls and questions for the community.
1: Awesome. Uh, This interview was amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. So I'm going to go ahead and and close this out. So if you like this episode, tweet about it. Uh, We'll be selecting one tweeter to win a smashing magazine book each week. We've also started a book club. Uh, This month's book is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh, If you're interested in learning more, you can head over to ladybug.dev slash books, We have a little uh, Goodreads community where we're, uh, you know, discussing the book or attempting to discuss the book anyway. And we will be recording a podcast episode on it as well. And we post new podcast podcast episodes every Monday. So make sure you're subscribed to be notified and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And finally, once again, thank you, Cortland, for joining us today.
2: Thanks so much.